Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Emily Ho, Director of the Linus Pauling Institute and Professor in the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the office's administrative director. Today, we're doing something a little different. We're going to talk about gut health with GW Integrative Medicine co-host, Dr. Lee Frame, who is our new associate director of the Resiliency and Wellbeing Center, director of integrative medicine programs, and executive director of the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health here at GW. I'm excited to be first time co-hosting the GW podcast and really even more excited to have the opportunity to hear about Dr. Frame's research passions. Uh, Dr. Frame brings nutrition and immunity together through clinical and translational research. Her interests include microbiology and immunology, and she is a subject matter expert in the role of the human microbiome and nutrition in health and disease. So Lee, let's talk gut health. Well, you know I'm excited to talk about that. (laughs) What is the gut microbiome? So that's a great place to start. I think a lot of people now are familiar with the term microbiome. So maybe it's not as scary, but they still probably don't really understand what it is. Because a lot of times you hear people talking about, oh, it's bacteria. But it's actually a lot more than that. It's all the bugs that live on us and in us. Um, That's what the microbiome is in general. And it could be bacteria. It could be viruses. It can be archaea. It could be fungi. So any microorganism that lives in a portion of your body is that portion of your body's microbiome. So the bugs that live in your gut are your gut microbiome. Sounds like it's a a lot of things. I've heard in terms of numbers of of components of your microbiome, it's on the order of, of trillions. Yeah, so the, the number is a little bit debated, but what we do know is there are at, at least as many of them as there are of your own cells. So I like to think of it as they are at least half of you. Um, and so when we think about why is the microbiome important, it'd be like if we ignored half of us. Um, so we need to take them into account when we do a lot of these research, which historically we didn't because we didn't even know the microbiome existed. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. So when we think about gut health and this new resurgence and interest in the microbiome, it's really kind of expanded what gut health means. And the health of your microbiome and your gut health really means a lot more than just health of your gut. Um, It can reach many parts of of your health. Can Can you talk a little bit about how the microbiome plays a role in your optimal health? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think historically we talked about gut health. We were really thinking about gut motility um, and digestion. So how do we get nutrients in and how do we expel waste? Uh, And while those things are still really important for gut health, they're actually only a small portion of it when we think about the microbiome um, because the microbiome does a lot of functions. It does help us digest things. It helps us get calories. Uh, It also processes certain um, non-digestible fibers what we call um, prebiotics, into metabolites like short-chain fatty acids that are really beneficial for us. For instance, short-chain fatty acids are actually food for the colonocytes. So the cells of your colon actually eat these short-chain fatty acids. So if you don't have them produced, then your colon is basically starving. So I think that puts into perspective how we're talking about a different aspect of gut health than just simply digestion and moving things along. So one of the things I've heard over the last few years is that 75% of your immune system is located in your gut. 
Could you it kind of explain, is that right? Is it wrong? And, and explain what they mean when, when, when I hear people say that. Yeah, that's a, I hear that a lot. And I would say it's not wrong. However, that is a very rough estimate. Um, not dissimilar from the number of microbiome components. We, it's very difficult to count um, and really understand exactly what is going on in terms of the immune system in any one person's gut, let alone the fact that it will change over time. You know, if you're having an immune response to something, say you you had a little bit of food poisoning, the amount of immune cells in your gut are going to be larger than on a regular day. So that number is a rough estimate. Um, but the gut is really important in terms of immune health. Uh, and part of that is just whether your body is responding to the microbiome in the proper way. So these bugs, in theory, your, your, your body could say, these don't belong here, they're not human cells, and they could react to them, cause inflammation, and, mm-hmm. um, and have a, a sort of a negative immune response. But what a healthy immune system should say is, no, these are our friends, these are our commensals, and allow them to be there. And so just that interaction alone really affects the immune system, not to mention the fact that what the microbiome is doing often affects the immune system as well. So the production of certain metabolites can cause an anti-inflammatory response, which generally is beneficial because we we don't want to be walking around with lots of active immune system, lots of inflammation anywhere in our body. That's really only supposed to be there when there's something to fight. It should be a short-term, robust response, and then it should go back to being quiet again. And when we see like autoimmune diseases or chronic diseases, what we're seeing is that inflammation doesn't get turned off. And that's where we really see major immune problems is when we're stuck in the on position. Now, what role does fiber play in the microbiome? I mean, I know I've, I've heard people say fiber, 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 but I've also heard you say not necessarily just fiber. Yeah. So I, you know, what we know in terms of the research is fiber, fiber, fiber. It's definitely being borne out in the research that fiber and different types of fiber, that's really important, different types of fiber, because there are many different types of fiber and they do different things, that they're really important for the health of the gut microbiome, in part because they are the fuel for your gut microbiome. And they produce things like short-chain fatty acids that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. However, um, Because the research has focused so heavily on fiber, it hasn't focused on other elements of the diet. And as we start to look at other elements of the diet, we're seeing that that might be a bit of an oversimplification. It's not that they can't utilize these other components of the diet. It's just that they mainly use fiber. Fiber is sort of their their preference, but they can also metabolize other things. And not dissimilar from ourselves, having a diversity of diet seems to be important for the microbiome as well. However, that is emerging research, and we can't say like for sure that they, you know, they need certain amount of amino acids or any of those type of, of level of detail that we could say maybe with a human being. Um, but I think we will get there one day. So they are not a koala. Correct. They are not a koala, Um, (laughs) but they definitely love their fiber. Sounds like a a complex web um, in terms of, you know, what we eat affects our microbiome, what our microbiome can affect, you know, how we utilize uh, food and nutrients as as well. Um, What is the research, what is the most exciting research right now in terms of um, the gut microbiome? What's the research telling us? Yeah, it is definitely a complex web. And and as you know, that's true in many areas of nutrition, right? We we don't eat nutrients, we eat foods. And 
by that very nature, it makes things really complex to study. Um, and that ties in with what I think is one of the most interesting areas of nutrition research in general, but particularly as it relates to the microbiome, is the movement away from reductionist science. Uh, and while that's very important to say, all right, we deliver, say, a vitamin D supplement and seeing what happens, um, that doesn't necessarily tell us what is happening in the real world when people are being exposed to a number of different things at a time. And maybe it's more about a dietary pattern as opposed to the amount of any single nutrient. Uh, and when we get into uh, the NIH Precision Research once they start actually getting research coming out, which, you know, they're, they're not there yet, but I'm super excited about it. That's when we're really going to start making some of these big leaps because we're going to be able to look at large numbers of people with various different dietary patterns and seeing how that relates to the microbiome. I would say the only thing, res the reservation I have about that is they are right now planning to look at composition predominantly. Um, and I think the composition of the microbiome, while that's where most of the research has been and it has been informative, it's almost kind of missing the point. Because really the question isn't who's there, it's what are they doing, right? Are they producing short-chain fatty acids? Are they metabolizing proteins and producing TMA, which is being turned into TMAO, which can cause colon cancer or increased risk of heart disease. That's really the question that we want to know. And so by looking at who's there, we are indirectly measuring that, whereas a more robust measure would be to directly measure metabolites and metabolomics. You mentioned precision medicine. Now, um, can you talk a little bit about how you think the gut microbiome may play a role in kind of personalized nutrition? A lot of focus uh, in the past has been around kind of your genotype, um, but now we're hearing uh, that that microbiome, like you said, is you know half of you. you know, how does that come into play in terms of personalizing nutrition? Well, it definitely does. Um, there's been some estimates that the diet affects the gut microbiome five times more than our genetics. So we know the diet is important for our microbiome's health. But what we also know is that the human response to diet has a lot of variability, so inter-individual variability. And we don't fully understand why that is historically. Why is someone doing better on, you know, a high-carb, plant-forward diet, whereas another person is doing really well on, say, a paleo-style, lower-carb diet? And what is making them different? And it seems like the microbiome is playing a large part in that. There's been research coming out about individual pieces, like, for instance, oats are, are generally considered to be very healthy for you, good for your gut microbiome. They have resistant starch, which is a type of fiber. Um, but not everyone seems to get the benefits from them, and it seems like the gut microbiome has something to do with that, in particular F. prosnitzii. So if you don't have S F. prosnitzii in your gut microbiome, then they don't metabolize the oats in the same way, and you aren't getting as many of the health benefits from oats as if you had it. Now, if we can measure that and understand all the different components of the gut microbiome of an individual person, we could tailor their nutrition and their, their diet plan to something that would not only improve their gut microbiome, but also would optimize what's there and get the best health benefits out of who's already there. Uh, and then potentially also add in, say, a probiotic to change who is there and make it more beneficial overall. So it's going to be a, a complex care plan. Um, and it's definitely years down, down the road that we're going to be that point. But that is the direction we're heading. And frankly, it's the only way we're really going to get answers because right now we see, you know, we have all these research studies where we have non-responders and responders. And how do we figure out who these people are? A lot of times it's really going to be what their microbiome looks like. So we need to do the research to, to be able to make those decisions. 
No, that's really exciting that, uh, I mean, moving away from one size fits all is, is really where the future lies. And it's exciting that the, the research is, is, is pointing us there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I would say that there's definitely still value in the one-size-fits-all. It's just in a, a different way, right? Sure. When we're talking about public health recommendations, we aren't going to be talking about whether people have F presidency I or not. We have to make generalizations. Uh, and that's how we can do things like design the food program for schools. But when we're talking about individual patient care, that's where personalized nutrition and personalized medicine really shines. Absolutely. Now, Lee, I, I just realized we haven't asked you the a question about, you know, how do I feed my, my gut? Eating, eating for a healthy gut. So that could be a really complicated answer, or I could make it really simple. Um, and I think the most useful version is the really simple answer. Um, and that is that your gut microbiome likes plants and a lot of different kinds of plants. So the more different kinds of plants you can give to your diet and to your gut microbiome, the happier they're going to be. There is some research from the American Gut Project showing that uh, the line seems to be about 30 different plants per week. So if you can get about 30 different plants per week in your diet, then you're optimizing your gut health from what we know right now, which, you know, who knows? <laughs> it could end up being at least to be 35, but right now <laughs> it looks like 30. Um, and in general, the, probably the more the better. But what that, that might sound like a lot, but it's actually really not because it could be like a teaspoon of cinnamon. Mm -hmm. uh, so all your spices and herbs count, um, and it doesn't have to be large amounts, but getting that diversity in your diet. Herbal tea counts. Herbal tea counts, absolutely. And that's one that I love to get some flavor in your day. Um, but the other thing is I think we tend to fall into habits, right? We eat the same things over and over again because it's easier and we don't have to think about it. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Uh, we don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about these things. We have other important things to do. But mm -hmm. I think one of the things we can focus on is if we are getting into a habit or if we're doing meal prepping, how many different things can we put into that one item, right? So if you're going to eat the same thing for lunch two or three times that week, try and get like six different plants in it. And then at least you're getting exposure to lots of different plants on those various occurrences. And then your prep isn't so hard because you've, you know, you've prepped it for a few meals and you've saved yourself some time. So in the summertime, when you make some gazpacho, throw some nice soft beans in there. You'd be surprised at how delicious it is. That sounds wonderful. And I would say the summer should be the easiest time of year to do this because everything looks gorgeous. You go to the farmer's market, everything's in season. It smells delicious. Um, so getting more plants should be easy. Lee, you mentioned probiotics earlier. Um, can you maybe clarify a little bit in terms of um, prebiotics that the, the plants uh, may be offering versus probiotics? Yes, that's very important. I think that this terminology can be very confusing. Um, so a probiotic is kind of the opposite of an antibiotic. So an antibiotic kills the bugs and a probiotic actually adds bugs in. That's the easiest way for me to get that my brain kind of wrapped around what is that difference. And then a prebiotic is what you would give before you have the bugs. So it's the food for them. They need to have food in, in the healthy environment for them to flourish. So the prebiotics provide that food. The probiotics provide the bugs themselves. And together you have, in theory, something that's really going to improve your gut health. 
That being said, we don't have a ton of understanding on probiotics at this point. A lot of the research is centered around just a handful of species or in some cases strains. We get it that specific, but a lot of times they're much more high level. And most of them actually have been isolated from yogurt. And the reason is, is when you take something from a food item, it immediately is given grass status. So generally recognized as safe. And so that means they can immediately put it out there and market it and put it and put it on the OTC level and not have to do any additional research because it's generally recognized as safe grass. So it makes a lot of sense that that's what we're doing, but there's a lot more to the microbiome than the ones that come from yogurt. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the ones that seem to be standing out in the literature, actually, for instance, F. prosnitzii. You're not going to find that in yogurt. Uh, you may start to see it in some probiotics, um, but we don't, again, we don't know how much we should be delivering in terms of, you know, how many colony forming units and whether that's even the appropriate way to be measuring these guys. Uh, and then if they are delivered, where are they coming out in the gut? And does that matter? Of course, it probably matters, but we don't really fully understand. So there's so many intricate things about probiotics that I think we're kind of putting the horse ahead of the cart. That being said, I do take a probiotic <laughs> because I'm sort of like, well, it's probably not going to hurt. Um, and I'm I'm hopeful that knowing that I have gut health issues, that this will help me recover from some of those. That being said, uh, not too long ago, a research study came out showing that the delivery of probiotics can actually slow the recovery of the gut microbiome after delivery of antibiotics. So mm. let that sink in for a second. So a lot of people, a lot of physicians even, are recommending probiotics before, during, after antibiotic exposure in the hope of preventing antibiotic diarrhea and then hopefully maybe allowing you to, to bounce back quicker. Well, it may help with the antibiotic diarrhea. It doesn't seem to help you bounce back quicker. If anything, it's actually slowing that. And that really, to be honest, that really changed the way I thought about probiotics. Uh, maybe they're not quite as, you know, you just can't give them willy-nilly, right? They're not, there may be some potential negatives to taking a probiotic in instances where you wouldn't have expected it. So now I've really kind of walked back my idea about whether probiotics are great or not. And I think it's, it's just that we don't have the full understanding of how they should be delivered, what should be in them, when they should be delivered, and for whom. Such a fascinating topic, Lee, because we haven't even gotten into climate change and what what it's doing to the soil, which is where these microbiomes also live that, you know, our body needs. But um, let me just ask you, for clinicians, where what are some resources online where they can go to to learn more about the gut microbiome or just the microbiome in general? Yeah, so there's there aren't a lot of great resources. There isn't like a you know a Linus Pauling Institute of the Microbiome, though maybe right. we can work on that. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Um, <laughs> um, but there, there's definitely some good resources. One of my favorite podcasts, which I actually was recently on, Sigma Nutrition with Danny Lennon. Um, they have something they do called the Sigma Statements. And they recently did one on probiotics, which is fantastic. And if you're trying to get like the real, the gist of what's going on in the world of probiotics in a couple of pages, that is where you should go. I actually have all my students read that one. Very helpful. Um, And in general, following evidence-based podcasts like that to get up-to-date information 
um, is really great. Um, there are certain organizations that are really leaders in this field. Uh, for instance, uh, the Sonnenberg Lab and then uh, Rob Knight, who are both at UCSF. And then um, uh, there's a program at NIST as well. We've actually had um, the group leader of that on before, Scott Jackson. Um, and they're doing some great work around creating standards for measuring the microbiome, which is a problem we haven't even talked about. It's a whole other problem is, do we know how to measure the microbiome? Are we doing it right? So the research we've done, part of the questions we've talked about, about exactly studying the microbiome, but now also we're questioning, are we measuring it right? So there's a lot of things to, to deal with the microbiome. Of course, you can follow me on social media. I try to tweet a lot about this sort of thing. Um, and I'm thinking there's one more. I, I would suggest people um, sign up for Dr. Emerin Meyer's um, newsletter. That is a great one. Yes, he does a lot on the gut-brain connection. Well, speaking of resources um, at the Lyme's Pauling Institute, uh, you're giving a talk at our 25th anniversary fall webinar series. Uh, we have a, a webinar series called Diet and Optimal Health. Um, in October, the focus is exclusively going to be on the role of the gut microbiome in health. Um, we'll be addressing some of the topics that you just uh, talked about in terms of uh, eminent research areas. But uh, can you tell us a little bit and give us a bit of a preview of what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, I'm really excited about this, too. You've put together a, a really great group of people. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit of expand upon the things I've talked about today and, and really focus on what we do know, what we don't know, and then how we can get those answers. Because like I said, it's a, it's a difficult area to study. And you have to know what's the best way to study it. And then also, what are some of the barriers? Why haven't we gotten the research that we need? Um, which in, in nutrition often centers, centers around funding. So there will be a little bit of discussion about the issues of funding as well. well I'm really looking forward to it. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Absolutely. My pleasure. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. Thanks for listening.